When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It's Questions Day, Kieran, so I'll ask my usual question. How are you? I'm I'm very good. I, I went out for a, a very nice tapas-style meal last night with my mate, The Count, and uh, we uh, we knocked back a lot of food. He's, he's like me, he doesn't drink, he's a bit of a nerd, so the, the two wives spoke sensibly and put us in our place, and we sort of talked spreadsheets. I, love, I just love the idea of the waiters in the Spanish restaurant going, hello, these, these two look like likely lads, these two look like trouble, look at the size of these two. It's Kieran and The Count. What are you having, lads? Just a bottle of water. Thank you very much. What 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 tapas did you have? Did you have anything raw? I know you're fetish for raw food. Uh, yeah, we had some raw tuna. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. Th- that was probably about it. But they uh, the uh, the squid was amazing. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, I do like a bit of seafood, and and they do some uh, absolutely sensational uh, veg as well. Why don't you suggest to them, Kieran, that they have a squid and spreadsheet night? That would be very, yeah. Where you live, I reckon a squid and spreadsheet night would go down really, really well. That, yes, yeah. It, it, it was Brighton Pride uh, this weekend as well. Yes, I, so, saw your, I saw your tweet, very nice. Yes, uh, and even though it was biblical in terms of uh, rain, uh, it, it didn't dampen. It didn't dampen things down. Uh, <laughs> people were... Uh, <laughs> We're celebrating as best they the best they can. Pride in Brighton is always uh, memorable, and the best you can celebrate, Kieran, is with squid and spreadsheets. So well done, That's right. pushing the boat out. Now, our first question, Kieran, comes from uh, me via the chap who sidled up to me in a pub to ask his question. As I forewarned you last week, uh, there's been a lot of publicity about the future of the Commonwealth Games because so many countries are saying, "Well, well we simply can't afford." to host them. So uh, in the light of that, this chap asked me, um, yeah, we've discussed a lot on this pod, the cost of staging a World Cup and the years of debt that can actually put a country into. So he asked me whether that was the same for the Olympic Games, whether the Olympic Games was as expensive to host as a World Cup, I imagine more expensive, but what were the financial knock-on effects of the Olympics? Were they as negative as a World Cup? Yes, it's it's the World Cup with knobs on, uh, ah, to put it right. quite quite frankly. If we take a look at the uh, London Olympics in 2012, which was a magnificent event, anybody it's, it's, who yep. attended, um, you were never more proud to be from London. Yep. The, the, the volunteers, the commitment they showed, everybody had smile on their face uh, during during the period of the Olympics. But of course, what happens is initially you have your pitch. For it, and I, I was actually teaching in Moscow in 2005 oh, when wow. we won the Olympic bid because Moscow was an alternative choice. Yeah, um, and and to be fair, the the uh, my, my class were were very gracious uh, in defeat um, because I had actually pointed out to them that whoever did win it was going to have a financial hangover, but. The Olympics is far more expensive because you have to use a variety of stadium and event-holding places. And the chances are they're not going to be used for that purpose going forwards. So there there were some new uh, architectural creations as far as the London Olympic bid was concerned, the biggest of which, of course, was the London Stadium. It went substantially over budget. In the glossy document which was put forward by the uh, by the Olympic uh, bidding committee, 
there was all talk about legacy and how the stadium was going to be used after the event and so on and how it was going to improve athletics and uh, lots of graphs about how engagement in sport and the impact it would have on uh, on, on national health uh, in terms of increased exercise and participation in sport, all, all of these glossy graphs. And, and, and it's pure bunkum. It oh. is absolute bunkum what is put forward. Um, it, it's just it's just guesswork and uh I've always found, you know, and, and I work with numbers, but if you start quoting numbers, numbers are very, very persuasive because they're definitive. So I know from experience that if I'm doing an interview on the radio or television or, or even you know, here on the podcast, if I quote a number, 98.4% of people are going to believe me. And that adds to my credibility. <laughs> Is that is that a genuine number, or is that a hilarious way of pointing out your argument? No, that, that's that, that that's my accounting gag. That's, that's, it. that's my one accounting joke, Kevin. Well, it made me laugh, Kieran. I've not heard it before. <laughs> yes. well, well done for your restraint in two years of doing the pod. I've not heard that joke before. So, in ter- in terms of London, then, Kieran, and we're talking. Um, I, I mean, it's the taxpayer who pays for it, isn't it? It's not private yes. investment. It's the taxpayer who pays for it. So what? What then was the financial hangover from how much did the London Olympics cost and are we still paying for it, essentially? Well, well we are still paying for it because, remember, it costs something around about £700 million to convert. Uh, so we, we had the building cost of the London Stadium. Then we had the conversion costs of the London Stadium, which I think was somewhere in the region of £700 million, uh, to make it ready to play football. And we now have this ludicrous situation in which West Ham United, uh, who have got a fantastic deal, and, and I'm not being critical, of uh, Karen Brady for negotiating the deal on behalf of the club because that's her job to do so. Um, but West Ham have got a deal where they're paying just, I think now, just over £3 million a year in rent. But the costs of running the stadium are somewhere in the region of £20 million. So we, we've had all of those costs which you're not getting back um, from the initial creation and then uh, reconfiguration of the stadium. And then on an operational basis on a, on, a, on a year by year basis the stadium is losing money it, it, w- it would be better if they to a certain extent if they just closed it down but then you end up with with the situation that we have in uh, South Africa and Brazil where where you've effectively got stadiums being mothballed if you take a look at the winter Olympics in uh, in, in Russia in Sochi the the costs of that were hugely over budget mainly due to the fact that uh, Russia is an institutionally corrupt country and all of the contracts were given to to cronies of of Putin who who just charged whatever they felt like yeah um but uh, unfortunately the olympics and as you mentioned earlier the the commonwealth games so i think it's uh, alberta have now pulled out of hosting the the next uh, commonwealth games and there is talk about birmingham doing it again so yeah. i was on BBC WM talking about this a couple of days ago. Um, and it, it was a great event. Again, the event itself, absolutely fantastic. But it's 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 a bit like all the best parties you've gone to at somebody else's house. It's their responsibility to clear up the mess. And and you know, you remember the party, that they they remember the fact that you know there's various yeah, there's damage. There's damage to the property. There's all of these bottles and stuff, and uh, there's, the police have got called out at two a.m., which they had to deal with, and you didn't. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's the downside, and and it's that hidden cost which ultimately becomes a huge burden for the taxpayer, um, and that's why we're seeing so many countries either trying to spread the cost, um, as as we've seen with the euros. Um, I think. Uh, France is now try- pulling out of hosting the the Rugby League World Cup. I think mm. they're next due to host it because they've they've done the sums and realised it, it's it's not going to be worth it. Um, it, it's uh, it, it, I think we're going to end up in a situation where the only people who are willing to host it are those countries where they don't have to worry about being elected. And I'm not sure that's necessarily good. For the games as a whole. Well, that's interesting, Kieran. So I'll come on to that with my final. I mean, I was the the two weeks of the London Olympics were the, probably the proudest two weeks of my life, Kieran. As you know, how much I love uh, London. Um, but I was in Birmingham during the Commonwealth Games, and the, the sense was exactly the same. I mean, the people around the were just thrilled that the Commonwealth Games was going on. The centre of Birmingham 
had a brilliant spruce up and still looks wonderful. So th- there are benefits for the locals, but we're getting to a stage, Kieran, as as you've just alluded to, where in, in football, with uh, FIFA and UEFA's uh, encouragement, we're seeing increasing two-country, three-country bids for the Euros and for the World Cup because, as FIFA said, it's that's a way of smaller countries being able to share in the experience of hosting such a brilliant tournament. Or, if you're cynical, that way there's more countries to give backhanders to FIFA to be part of the hosting process. But not only will we see countries, like as you say, no government countries, but increasingly the Olympics, for example, you can't really have a two, three country hosting Olympics. So increasingly, it'll only be first world countries, essentially Europe and America and Australia, who can afford to host such a tournament, um, which isn't really fair, is it, in the end? But, and also, they're the countries that have got some of the infrastructure already there in terms of the you know, football grounds, coastal areas where there are already sort of yachting facilities and so on and so forth. So those things don't have to be built. That's right. I mean, we, we say in the world of finance, what, what is your marginal cost? What is the additional cost if you have existing infrastructure, if you have existing stadia? And, and that's why for the 2028 uh, Euros will, will be cheap because everything's already there. Mm. Um, so you know the, the transport links are there, although you can get frustrated with them at times. And the hotels are there, the stadia are there, the broadcasting links are there. You know the the uh, the, the grid is there. Um, so then it's a simply a case of you've got your security costs, you've got you know, sort of the day to day running costs, and so on. Right. Let's have some football questions, Kieran. And the first one comes from Jacob McMaster. Um, it's quite a plaintive one, really. And Jacob says, how exactly do companies with very dubious and obscure backgrounds become official sponsors of elite European teams? And uh, I suspect, Kieran, uh, our legal advice for our producer guys to maybe not mention specific uh, dubious and obscure companies as we talk about these sponsors. Um, well, we, we've been using this phrase on the show for some time, blinded by the check. Yep. As far as the commercial directors and the commercial departments are concerned, they are given a brief by the board of directors to maximise commercial income. And that means signing deals with sponsors, signing deals with commercial partners. And if you've got a choice of two and one is offering you five million and one is offering you seven million, you take the one with seven million. You go to the board of director and they say, that's seven million pounds. That's absolutely fantastic. Well done. Pat on the back. And you get to keep your job. You get to feel good about yourself. Doing due diligence isn't necessarily first and foremost in the minds of of a commercial director because their job is to get the money in. And I'm not saying any of these organisations are dodgy at all, just to to caveat things. But just to give an example of some of the issues that we've seen, we've had Football Index, which isn't a Ponzi scheme, according to everybody that uh, was in it and lost money, just like they would have lost in a Ponzi scheme. It, just, it was just a pure coincidence. Mm. Um, they, were, they were sponsoring Nottingham Forest and QPR. We have, we've spoken at length about Digital Bits, the, yeah. the, the, the crypto platform which was sponsoring Inter, which was great, except they were sponsoring Inter without actually getting around to paying them. We've got BK8, the sexualization of young Korean women uh, uh, gambling website, mm. which provoked such a reaction from Norwich fans that, that, to be fair to the club, it says, actually, we've now done some checking and we realise that perhaps uh, we don't want to be associated with now, Aston Villa. Take a, take a more, let's, let's follow the money route to that. Uh, Manchester City have had one or two crypto-based sponsors who disappeared very, very quickly. Um, and also, uh, Barnsley. Now, Barnsley, I think they were sponsored for, I think it might have, been, it might have only lasted two matches, but they did sign a deal with an organisation called Hex.com. Um, and Hex.com's followers are called, well, they call themselves Hexicans. Mm. Um, I would call them virgins living with their mum eating pot noodles. Um, because it's hard to get they, all, hard to get all that across the front of the shirt, Kieran. To be that, that is true. That is true. Um, but I know when this deal first came out, 
I was quite critical of it. And yeah. there's people like Martin Kaladine who's who really does an awful lot of fantastic investigative work, forensic work on this. And they were they turn on you. You know, on social media, anybody that shows any degree of caution, any degree of skepticism about the organization um is is then bombarded with abuse on social media and you you get you know we're, we're going to find you out we're going to we're going to hack hack your website we're going to hack your emails and all, all this type of nonsense um and hex.com was uh, controlled by a gentleman called Richard Hart who 2 days ago um was given a lawsuit by the Securities and Exchange Commission for fraud, for taking the money from the hexagons. He's spent it on cars. He's got a Ferrari. He's got a Tesla. He's got a McLaren F1. He's got the world's largest black diamond. Um, Barnsley binned him, not because of the nature of the organisation that he's involved with, but they also took a look at He's He turns out to be quite an obnoxious, homophobic bigot as well. Um, and by the way, the, the price of Hex.com's uh, crypto product has, has decreased by 88% mm. over the course of the last 12 months. So I think those people who are saying, this, this looks like a scam. Yeah, mm. this looks like somebody who's just, if you tell people that this is the amazing product, you're going to make returns, this is, this is surefire. Um, yeah, I, I am a cautious person by nature, as you know. Um, and I go, well, you're not backing it up with anything apart from words. You, know, you seem to be very short on facts here, but people will believe in these types of products. But ultimately, football is a competitive industry. The vast majority of clubs are losing money and commercial directors are under an awful lot of pressure. And that's why we've ended up in this somewhat tacky situation that we, we often see clubs associated with. You're not that cautious, Kieran. You eat a lot of raw fish. <laughs> you you throw caution to the winds every time you do that, um, and well done for completely ignoring my uh, pub legal advice. Maybe not to mention too many of these companies by name. And also, congratulations to Barnsley fans who will be delighted to be included in the category elite European teams. <laughs> Actually, it's already been a good weekend for Barnsley fans. I'll be doubly excited now. Our next question comes from Somil Dave, uh, who's a long time listener. Um, and uh, asks us the occasional question, which is always very interesting. Somil says, I'm an accountant. Um, news that comes as no surprise to me whatsoever, Kieran, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, remembering some of Somil's previous questions. Somil says, I'm an accountant, and I often wonder what footballers' pay slips would look like when I am preparing payroll for my clients. Do they get. That's living the dream, that is, isn't it? For you, that is, Kieran. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I- imagining. If you think about imagining pay slips. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the ultimate for an accountant. It's the ultimate for a freelance performer, Kieran, as well. Isn't it? Um, do they get holiday pay like the rest of us, says Somil, or is it different because they have so many non-working days over a year already for which they are getting paid? Would any Premier League footballers be calling up the payroll asking why a student loan deduction is happening or why they're only paid about £98 a week as sick pay? <laughs> right. Well, I think there are some interesting stuff here. Um in terms of holiday pay and sick pay, um, and I think this is this is linking to one of the questions we're going to have later with regards to Crystal Palace, in fact. Indeed, yeah. Um, there, there will be clauses in contracts which say that given the nature of the work, which is a physical, it's a physical contract industry, um, being unable to perform for a period of time is is going to give the player some protection, uh, and, and that's only right and proper. Um, because if you if you do your ACL in, then you could be out for an awfully long time, as we're aware. Um, I, I, w- I would take issue, however, with the number of non-working days over a year. I don't mm. think footballers get particularly long holidays. If you look at when they have to be back for pre-season training um, and when the season ends, and, and there was an article, I think, this morning in The Athletic, which, say, which was saying that with the expanded... Champions League with the FIFA World Club Cup uh, taking place, and they worked out that a player could be playing up to eighty games a season in mm. theory. And for yeah, you know, for an elite athlete, that's that's incredible. And, and it's I don't I don't think it's realistic. You know, they're, they're, we're going to see bigger squads with far more rotation um, going forwards. But 
they, they, they do have standard payslips. I have seen some payslips for footballers. And they also do have deductions. And, oh. and I think the, the most famous deduction was that of uh, the incredibly uh, brilliant, but also uh, slightly bonkers and, and modest Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, because when he was at Manchester United, he was deducted one pound from his his payslip, and the fact that he noticed this and he <laughs> took it up with the club, I think, is is a testament to the man himself. He was deducted one pound because they were on a pre season tour, and he had a fruit juice from the minibar in his room. And when the club traced who was in the room, they took it out of his next payslip. Get out of here, really? Yep. Yeah, and what what I'm amazed is that it was only one pounds because I don't know about you, your experience in mini bars. I avoid them like the plague because you you buy a you know even if you go for a pack of peanuts, it's a five or something or obscene. Um, but yes, he he was very very miffed, and I think he was quite dismissive of Manchester United. Yeah. He says, "Yeah, this is this is indicative of a of a small club mentality. You are dealing with Zlatan, and you take a pound away from my payslip." Um, but that they are subject to exactly the same rights as any other employee and therefore they're entitled to a monthly payslip. It will come as no surprise to you, Kieran, that my experience in minibars is slightly different <laughs> your experience from minibars, which is why I I leave for overnight jobs with the words of Ali always ringing in my ear. They might be paying for the hotel, but you're paying for the minibar. Yes, uh, they don't do raw fish in minibars, Kevin, so I'm not interested. Uh, well, imagine that, a minibar with raw fish in it. Um, there was, talking about how much football they're playing, I think yesterday on Sky or Saturday on Sky, somebody mentioned that Forest players had two weeks off this summer um, uh, between the end of the season and the pre-season tour and pre-season training. And, of course, as many managers pointed out yesterday, not only have players playing up to 80 games a year, but at the moment, yesterday, they're playing 20 minutes more football than they were because yeah, most games yesterday had a minimum of eight or nine mm. minutes at the end of each half, which is fine in terms of value for money. But even for professional footballers with big squads, you're asking players to play an extra half hour's football on a Saturday. And I know people will be at home with the, the tiny violin, but these are elite athletes and they're already being pushed to the limit. <laughs> you didn't already know, our partner Manscaped now sells beard products. You heard that correctly. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming changed the game with their Beard Hedger Pro Kit, and now they're going a step further with their brand new Handyman, an electric face shaver for a quick and convenient way to achieve a clean-shaven look. Whether you're looking to sharpen up your neckline or give your face that smooth finish, the Handyman has you covered. It's time to go from five o'clock shady yeah baby that's right if you're looking for something dare i say smoother look no further than manscaped's new handyman face shaver if you're like me you know clean shaving's a bit of a hassle the handyman is the perfect compact tool i can take with me on the go to achieve that clean shaven look without all of the effort so get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFOOTBALL. Hit the refresh button with Manscaped. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Andy Withers is the next question, and it's about lawsuits, Kieran. So we're kind of weaving in and out, all sorts of themes coming through this week. Um, I'd like to claim it was deliberate, but uh, it's 
totally accidental. Andy Withers says a class action lawsuit was launched in the US last year after the collapse of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX. And big name sports stars like Tom Brady, Steph Curry and Naomi Osaka were named as defendants because their celebrity status made them culpable for promoting the firm's failed business model. The lawsuit alleges that the athletes and celebrities bought instant credibility to FTX and should be held just as culpable as the founder. I'm wondering, says Andy, whether football clubs in England and Europe will be monitoring this case, and should they be getting twitchy, given their ever-increasing financial involvement with crypto sponsors and suppliers of NFTs, etc. Now, I'm willing to bet a whole English pound with uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, that the name John Terry gets mentioned in your answer. Funnily enough, <laughs> you, 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 must, you must be able to see my, my mind map from 40 miles away. Um, yeah, I think this is an interesting one uh, from Andy, but the pub lawyer in me would suspect that uh, the, the plaintiffs here have very little chance of success yeah. in terms of taking on the promoters. Ultimately, the likes of Tom Brady, and uh, Tom Brady has also just become an investor in Birmingham City Indeed. Football Club a couple of days ago. And I think that's worthy of a story in its own right, in the sense that I suspect that um, he probably invested the equivalent of your whole English pound in Birmingham City but the publicity that it's generated as far as the media interest. So you know, I was I was on BBC News Channel, yeah. you know, Five Live talking about this, all, all, all the, the usual uh, people. Uh, it, it, it's a big, big story, um, and, and you therefore become the face. If you are making an investment, and I would still argue, as I've said from day one, I have no issue with cryptocurrencies. Alternatives to standard currencies have some merit because of the high charges that are made by, by banks and financial institutions whenever you are uh, moving from one currency to another. You know, I've, I've just been in the States. I think my bank were charging me two quid for every time I used my debit card overseas, which was ludicrous. Wow. Um, but... So there's, there's certainly an element of criticism which can be levelled at traditional commercial banks. Um, and therefore, crypto as an alternative does have some merits. But I came home with about $60. That does not make me a currency trader. And similarly, having a few quid in a cryptocurrency does not make you a trader or an investor. It makes you a speculator. And if you are going to buy into any financial product, then it's your responsibility to do the due diligence. And we were talking about Peterborough um, uh, on, on the most recent show uh, with regards to some of the challenges at that club. And I, I brought up the, the subject of the Peterborough bond. Mm. And you know, at the time it was made available, I said, the returns look good, but you're an unsecured creditor and that comes with a degree of risk. And this is where we go to would you take financial advice from Michael Owen, John Terry, and Paris Hilton under normal circumstances? And most people say, well, no, because I don't associate them with uh, finance. So under those circumstances, you know, if certainly if I was a lawyer, well, if you wouldn't take financial advice from them because they're not registered financial advisors, they've got no history, they've got no professional background in the world of finance, why are you buying this product just because they are putting their face to it. Now, if they make some misleading or downright fraudulent comments, then perhaps we've got a separate issue. Um, but I, I, I think it will be, I think football clubs will be very, very relaxed with regard to this. The bad publicity, just as football clubs tend to deal with all bad publicity, they just shrug it off. They just mm. say, well, it, oh, oh, yes, okay, thanks very much. Oh, by the way, we've, we've got a new away kit coming out. And uh, it, it's a bit like, I don't know whether you remember that episode of The Simpsons with Malibu Stacey. Indeed. Where Lisa uh, railed against the commercialism of, of products and how we fall for brands. Um, and she managed to get the whole of her class up in arms to realise that you know Malibu Stacey was just selling them a, uh, an unrealistic dream and product. And then they brought out a new Malibu Stacey with a new hat and everybody flocked to buy it, I think, including Lisa. That's the way that we are as football fans. Yes, there's bad news, bad news, bad news. You, you 
you shonker a 93rd minute winner the following weekend and everything is forgotten about. Yes, it's um, amazing the spring that has been put into the step of Birmingham City fans by the involvement of Tom Brady, um, an actor friend of mine, John T, who's way less posh than somebody called John T should be. Um, <laughs> is a big, huge Birmingham fan, and it's, I've never seen such optimistic tweets. And it, it seems to me that the arrival of Tom Brady for Birmingham fans is just a, a kind of symbol of a, a much better future than the past they've recently mm. been through. So hats off to them, and also hats off to Bristol Rovers. Talking about away kits, Bristol Rovers. Um, I'm sure a lot of you will have seen the brilliant kit announcement of their away kit done by Ian Holloway, um, which has some messages in Braille on the shirt, which I think is a really lovely little gesture. Um, I was going to say touch, but that would seem like I was trying to do a pun, and I wasn't. Um, As you predicted, Kieran, there is a Crystal Palace question coming, and it comes from James Burrows. And James Burrows says, a debate going around the Crystal Palace forums at the moment. (laughs) There are many debates going around Crystal Palace forums at the moment. I don't know if a club owner's ears can burn with tweets, Kieran. But uh, Steve Parrish will be waking in the morning going, well, somebody's put an iron on my ear. I don't know what's happened. Um, James Burrow says the debate going around the Crystal Palace forums at the moment is with regards to who is paying the wages for our apparently constantly injured defender, Nathan Ferguson. Poor lad. Nathan signed for us in July 2020, but was injured at the time. He's suffered several injury setbacks since and has only played four minutes of professional football since January 2020. My question is, would Palace have insurance to cover the wages, or would that only be applicable if Nathan has suffered an injury after signing for the club during training or in a game, etc.? This is an interesting one, this Kieran, because we signed him on a a tribunal fee from West Brom Mm. for much less than West Brom had valued him at, and clearly a player of great potential, uh, and he's a player that Palace fans have expected for the last two seasons to be let go. He hasn't been. We keep hearing rumours that he's ready to play again. But, the, I mean, the poor lad is is jinxed. And the, the worry is that when he does eventually play, like Connor Wickham style, his confidence will have gone and he'll never be able to put as much trust in his leg as he was it did in the past. But uh, James is absolutely right. There is constant debate about who's... I mean, I can't see any other club than Palace being the ones to pay his wages, Kieran. Can't. Well, certainly not West Bromwich Albion because they've transferred his registration Um, and it was settled by tribunal and the price potentially could be argued reflected the risk that Crystal Palace were taking on in in terms of his acquisition. It's it's a bit like if you you buy a house which has had a, a poor survey then you, you normally negotiate down the, the, the asking price from the other party. Um, in terms of his wages, that, that ultimately will be down to the contract. Um, players, I think normally, unless they are forced to retire upon medical advice, uh, can, can play for an awfully long time. This goes back to what we were, we were mentioning earlier. Uh, football is a physical contact sport. And they are taking risks every time they they walk onto a pitch. If they knew that they were going to be potentially financially uh, disadvantaged by making a tackle and, and having an injury, you can see that that would impact upon their their performance. So I suspect his wages are being paid by Crystal Palace. In terms of an insurance policy, if you talk to people in the insurance industry, everything and anything can be insured. But if you look at it from the perspective of the insurance company, insurance is all about risk. Now, if I was the broker, if I was the, uh, the the underwriter, I would say, I seem to be taking on an awful lot of risk here, and that's going to be reflected in the premiums. Mm. So therefore, Crystal Palace might have looked at that premium and said, actually, it's not worth our while uh, in terms of our commitment. So could, could, it, could there be an insurance policy? Yes. Do I think it likely? Uh, I think that's probably not to be the case. Um, I know that uh, there there is sort of a global insurance policy, speaking to a a chief executive of a a Premier League club, Um, but it actually pays out very little, certainly as far as as players who have their careers terminated are concerned. So it's a very very delicate matter. Um, And also, you know, regardless of what team you support, your heart goes out to the the poor lad involved. Absolutely. You know, because... 
as a professional athlete, what you want to be able to do is is to demonstrate your skill set and your athleticism, and to be denied that through injury uh, is it, it, it's 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 hurtful physically, clearly, but also the the mental impact it has uh, in terms of your self worth uh, is, isn't great either. Well, also, I mean, he was such an exciting prospect when we did sign mm. him. We were really looking forward to seeing him play. Uh, there are Palace fans who say, well, why did we sign a player that we knew was injured? But we signed Mark Bright, knowing he was injured, and he turned out to be one of the best players we ever had. So there are times when it's worth taking a risk, and clearly Palace's medical team didn't think this was a long-term issue. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure every, not just Palace fans, but every football fan will hopefully want to see him playing football sooner rather than later. Chris Hartley has our next question, and it's a very interesting one, Kieran. Chris says, the EFL rules specify that clubs must provide a safe stadium for their home matches, so why have Coventry not been punished for failing to do so? Other championship teams have spent money on keeping their stadiums fit for purpose. Right. In in the case of Coventry City, they are the tenant of the uh, stadium. So, therefore, that has implications because, as anybody who has ever rented a property is concerned, even though a landlord may have obligations, getting them to follow through on those obligations can be complicated. Um, They can send people around to do a half-assed job and so on. Um, As far as the EFL rules are concerned, a safe stadium doesn't have to be your own stadium because the EFL, and, and rightly so, uh, acknowledge that things can become more complicated and also there can be individual circumstances which are outside of the, the operational control of the club. So what happens if if we take a club such as Carlisle, which has suffered from significant flooding in recent times? What happens if there is a storm and, and the roof blows off and it's going to take six months before it can be put back? You might, under those circumstances, say, well, you know, that's due to extreme weather. We could not have foreseen that under reasonable circumstances, and therefore we need to to relocate to another stadium. And the club doesn't want to do that because financially it's not good news for the club. The fans don't want to do that. Um, you know, I know as a Brighton fan playing uh, you know, t- two years at Gillingham and then was it 14 years or whatever, however long it took at uh, at Withdean, that, that wasn't well, – it, it was safe mainly because it consisted mainly of trees. Um, <laughs> but it, it wasn't what you'd call uh, a safe stadium. Yeah, I, I don't know whether you ever went in the away end there, Kevin, when, when Palace were there, but it was you – know, you, you had to bring your opera glasses. It was because you had to uh, not only have the athletics track, but I think the uh, – the shot put uh, area was 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 in between the the, the away seats and, and and the pitch itself. It was it was quite ludicrous, um, but it was the but under those circumstances there was no alternative. Mm. Um, so I think the that Coventry City have done all that they can do, um, and they certainly seem to be moving forwards under the new ownership group, which which is a positive. I, I, as far as I recall, Kieran, we didn't play that often at the with Dean, um, mainly for the technical point of us being several divisions above you for most of that time, which how I long for those days. But um, uh, And obviously, because the, the away end was so tiny, the allocation is impossible. It's to about get 600. To, yeah, yeah, it's very small. Uh, has there been any indication, Kieran, that Coventry were failing to provide a safe environment for their fans? I don't think so. I, I know that they, they had to play... At alternative yes. stadium, but I wasn't aware that it was unsafe. I, I've, I've been there as an away fan and always have found it perfectly acceptable. So, right. um, I, I this 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 one seems a little bit of a strange one. Hmm. It's an interesting one. Though. I mean, certainly there are complaints from away fans. That's I mean they've played at quite a few places now, but hmm. uh, I, ironically, probably the least safe stadium they're in was was when they were at Birmingham because bits of that were falling off left, right, and yes. centre. Yes, Craig, now they've got Tom Brady. Uh, won't, he'll, he'll put it all back again. One, one, one gleaming smile. Well, also, he can put it back one brick at a time, can't he, from about 55 yards away. That's <laughs> yes. going to save him a fortune on, on builders and hods. So, you know, no one ever thought the word hod would be used on a there's, a... there's an idea for a podcast, Kieran, a Brickies podcast, the Hodcast. Yeah. I don't know how many Brickies out there would listen to the Hodcast. Craig Smith has our next question. Craig Smith says, um, as a Notts County supporter, 
living in Newcastle. And that's handy because Newcastle's the only town where a Notts County fan can wander the streets with his home shirt on without any trouble at all. Um, Craig says, I was one of 16,511 fans at our home game against Yeovil in November that broke the record for an attendance at a National League fixture. This was achieved by our Football for a Fiver initiative where non-season ticket holders could buy tickets for £5 versus a regular adult price of £20 and was also boosted by fans being able to gift extra tickets at £5 for less well-off supporters, which is all very good. My question is, beyond the obvious mathematics of this, i.e. quartering our ticket price but more than almost trebling our average attendance of 6500 does it make financial sense for clubs to run offers like this more regularly? And if so, why don't more non-league clubs do it? This is a question that raises its head from time to time, Kieran, doesn't it? The financial impact of a, a fuller ground, but with less money being paid to get into it. Yes, it is a balancing act. And from the perspective of the club, they have to weigh up two issues. First of all, how much is the additional revenue? If it normally costs you know, £20 to get in, you've got to sell four times as many uh, walk-up tickets. And, yeah, that is a lot. To be fair, fair play to, to Notts County, I think they probably achieved that. Um, they will also be saying, well, we will have more money from potential. If, if it's a good match and they win, then, you know, is there a chance of getting some repeat customers? So that will have been taken into consideration. They will make money on catering. They will make money possibly on, on merchandise as well. Um, so, yeah, kids for a quid, bring a friend for a, a fiver, these types of schemes, I think you'll actually find are run on quite a regular basis. But what the club will do is that they will normally choose opponents who would not be particularly glamorous, and, and that's no disrespect to Yeovil, of course, yeah. um, where they, they wouldn't be expecting many away fans, they wouldn't necessarily be expecting a large walk-up contingent. And they will also have to take into consideration um, the additional costs of hosting the game, because if they're going to expect another four or five thousand people turning up, then you've got to have more turnstile operators. You need to have more stewards. You need to, uh, you know, take into consideration. You need to talk to the local safety officer. Um, so, so there there are additional costs to take into account as well. But clubs are trying to look at all different types of pricing structures. At the same time, what you do not want to do is to upset your regular fans. If you are a season ticket holder and you are paying on average, you know, if you're a Notts County fan, it could be that you're paying on average you know, £12, £13 uh, per match to, to watch the club in the National League, and you see people coming in for a fiver, you might be saying to yourself, well, hold on, I signed up for 23 games in all weather conditions at all varying kickoff times. And I did that in good faith. And if the club does that on a regular basis, you can see the season ticket holder saying, well, I'm starting to do my sums here. Yeah. And it could be that financially I would be better off not having a season ticket, which, which surely is a crazy situation because the great thing about season tickets from the perspective of the clubs is that most people are renewing their season tickets in you know, March, April, May, and so on. And that provides the funding for the club in the months of June and July when they've not got any revenue coming in from uh, matches taking place. And, and it helps to uh, deal with the volatility because you've still got to pay out your wages, you've still got your day-to-day -day running costs, and you've not got a lot of revenue coming in. So it, it gives you a little bit of a buffer from season ticket sales. So it's, it's, a, it's a delicate uh, balancing act. And I think uh, you will find that quite a few clubs do it. And, and also, fair, fair play to Notts County for doing it in the first place because that's a fantastic crowd. Um, and, yeah, they have been promoted to the EFL. And, yeah, there is a step up to the EFL, as, as I think Notts County and, and Wrexham both found at the weekend. Yeah, it's, it's not the best welcome back to the EFL, is it? Having to get back from Sutton to Nottingham after being thrashed and your goalkeeper getting yeah. sent off in the first game is like welcome back to the real world it's hard enough getting from West Sutton to Sutton let alone from West Sutton to Nottingham um, our next question comes from Peter Lord 
and it's about Nottingham Forest. So hopefully Notts County fans will take some small consolation that we asked a county question before we asked the Forest question. And Peter Lord's question is this. My club, Nottingham Forest, had several players out on loan during last year's World Cup. And it got me wondering how the FIFA payments for players to clubs would be split in this case. Do you know what happens to those payments when a player is on loan? Again, that's a very interesting question. Yes, this is this is an intriguing one here. Um, under FIFA regulations, any club which has been involved in the development of a player, uh, I think normally in the two years prior to a tournament, but also the club that holds the player's registration, uh, if FIFA are effectively borrowing that player for their annual tournament, they, they do get compensation. And we did see the figures announced by FIFA, and some some clubs were were making many millions. I think Manchester City was the was the biggest recipient of money from FIFA as far as the twenty twenty two World Cup was concerned. Um, if that player is out on loan, I, I guess the the club which is the loanee must be entitled to a share of that money because they are the ones who are financially losing out because they they are still having to pay the player his his salary under the terms of the contract and therefore they would get compensation for that and this would form part now how much of the, the compensation fee i think that would have to be taken into consideration in the contract which is between the the host club and the loanee club so as always it, it comes down to the finesse of the paperwork and the the small print involved we're talking the paperwork here and the, the tone of this next question indicates to me that you've been moonlighting again and doing articles for various publications where you get the time from i, I don't know you must gulp that raw fish down really quickly alan, <laughs> alan richards has this question and Alan Richards says, after your recent and very interesting article about the amount of money Premier League clubs make per supporter, I was interested to know if there is a huge difference between clubs in the EFL and the Premier League in terms of how much supporters pay on average to watch games. Right. This is an intriguing one because if you take a look at clubs in the Premier League, the the, the elite clubs, and that's not being disparaging to the clubs that you or I support, are making around about £1,600 a season, but they are playing in the Champions League. They also have the benefit of more sponsor budget, more sponsor boxes and so on. And, and the way that I calculate the figures is, is I work out the total match day income, divide that by the number of home matches played by the average attendance, and, and that gives you your average figure, then, then spread that out, out over a season. Um and that is uh, substantially higher than clubs in, in the championship. But when you then say, well, actually, that total match day income for most clubs will include not just the, the money being generated from the, the regular season ticket holders, you know, what we might refer to as the legacy fans, the likes of you and I, um, but and will also on many occasions include the, the revenue generated from the corporate hospitality boxes. And I know um, I was listening to a talk from somebody from Bayern Munich and they say they make as much money from the 5,000 people that turn up in the boxes as they do from the 55,000 who turn up on the, on the terraces. So wow. the, the, the corporate dollar is it worth such worth such a lot and moving forwards in the in the, the latest variant of financial fair play where your wage bill is capped on we have a soft cap arrangement compared to revenues you can see more and more clubs trying to become more and more innovative in in terms of the hospitality dollar um so the Premier League clubs at the top end are making an awful lot. At the bottom end, you've got far lower figures. Uh, you know, we're probably talking you know, less than half in some cases of that fifteen to sixteen hundred pounds figure. So when we move, sorry, no, go on. When we move to the Championship, um, you see less money coming in from the hospitality element because it's not. Because it's not Premier League. Now, now, we've said on many occasions, Championship football, absolutely fantastic. You know, in terms of unpredictability and so on. But 
at the same time, if you are that commercial department and it's Huddersfield versus Reading on a Tuesday night, how are you going to persuade local commercial organisations to to stump up a lot of money? Whereas the glamour of the Premier Leagues, the, of which much is warranted, but not always warranted, um, it's it's a lot. It's a much easier selling job. So therefore, what we see is that the clubs, I think, at times take the mickey a bit when it comes to ticket prices for fans who are buying individual match day uh, items. Yeah. And I think we mentioned this on the Thursday show that Sheffield Wednesday, for their first match back in the championship, uh, they were charging away fans £36 and home fans 37 to 48 And And to be fair, they got a, they got a crowd of 28,000. So they say, well, those prices were justified. Yeah. Um, but the prices at... Uh, championship matches do tend to be higher. And, and the reason for that is that in the Premier League, it works out overall about £1 in seven comes from ticket prices. And if you're a club like Bournemouth, it's it's about £1 in every 25 is coming from ticket sales. Whereas if you take a look at the championship, for those clubs not in receipt of parachute payments, they're getting they had to get one pound in four from ticket sales. So therefore it's it's a much more challenging issue. Um and we are seeing some ticket prices. There's there's a good um there's a very good Twitter account called FB Away Days. Um and it's always sort of investigating these types of things. And I think for looking at yesterday's matches, if you were an away fan for crew versus Mansfield, £27. Yeah, it was the most expensive price in League Two. £27 for a fourth tier game. Uh, yeah, by the time you add on your, your transport costs, parking costs, mm. and, yeah, a couple, couple of scoops, it, it, it's it's very expensive. Um, and, you know, Mansfield fans might say 2 2 draw. We, we, you know, would it have actually made a huge difference if it was only £22? I don't know. Uh, but. Uh, it, it does seem that the prices are quite high, but that's because clubs are, are trying to balance the books in terms of having losses which are as tolerable as they can be to, to owners, and they think that the, pr- the pricing mechanism is, is one way. Um, but we have seen significant price rises all across the board this season. I think the biggest ones in the Premier League have, have been at Fulham, Forest and Bournemouth, though I think it could be argued, of course, that they've all got second season syndrome as far as their promotion is concerned. Um, yeah, they, they all successfully survived in, in the Premier League last season. Um, and on on the back of that, they they're going to take more money off fans. Yeah, they would argue that their wage bill is going to go up significantly in the second season because that tends to be the case, and they need to recoup the money somehow. See, there are a lot of <clears throat> many many people, Kieran, for whom the difference between twenty seven pound and twenty two pound is is crucial. There will be mm-hmm. there will be people yeah, there will be people who say, well, that's that's the, the final straw. I can't afford that extra fiver. But having said that. Every single home team at every single level of football will rely on the fact that every single away team from the National League upwards will have a minimum of 300 hardcore away fans who will go whatever the price, regardless, because Mm. it's a badge of honour to do so. And so, yeah, we use the word exploitation and that's what's happening. And you mentioned the Sheffield Wednesday game. As as we predicted, there were more than 3,000 Southampton fans there anyway. No matter what, yeah. no matter what the cost, and until such time as fans start voting with their feet and the broadcasters start saying we can't have empty away ends, this isn't going to change. Unfortunately, our last question, Kieran, is one I imagine you've been looking forward to answering. So I might just put this question to you: Go and put the kettle on, have a little sleep, come back and predict when you're finished, because um, there's going to be stuff for you to get off your chest. It comes from Adam Dyer. And Adam Dyer says, how much does Gianni Infantino get paid per year? And supplementary to that, what are the requirements for becoming president of FIFA? I'm considering a career change and getting paid to swan about the world talking bollocks seems right up my street. (laughs) (laughs) Given that he'll be there till 2029, I've got time to get my CV in order. I think the chances are he'll be there beyond 2029, Adam. Don't worry. it's It's a good question, Kieran. I don't think it's one we've actually ever directly confronted in terms of his, his salary and his many, many add-ons. It's many, and legally, I will say nothing further than his many, many add-ons, basically. 
Yes. Um, I think Janier Infantino will have to pass on the baton in 2029, because if my memory serves me correctly, under FIFA's own constitution, you are given only two full terms as president. Now, he could, of course, turn into one of those leaders who is so in love with himself that he persuades the FIFA membership to change the the constitution. We've seen this in, in quite a few... Uh, governments around the world where there there have been a system of checks and balances to prevent uh, demagogues from taking control and they just find a bunch of patsies to to vote through changes. But as far as his salary is concerned, his salary um, last year was £3.2 million. Um, He is a resident in Qatar. He moved to Doha. Uh, I'm sure that's a pure coincidence that uh, Qatar was hosting the World Cup. I don't want to pass. You know me, uh, I'm not a cynic, and I don't want people to take a cynical view of what I've just said. Um, Of that £3.2 million, he gets to keep approximately £3.2 million, given the tax structure uh, in Doha. Uh, I know two of his kids are being schooled there, and there's some very good education there. And for the sake of complete transparency, I've taught in Doha and I, I had a good time. Um, I wasn't paid £3.2 million. If it was, <laughs> probably wouldn't be hosting this podcast. Um, but it's a, it, it is a, it's, it's a competitive salary. Um, that would put him certainly at the very top end of the Premier League in terms of salaries. Um, yeah, there are many. Uh, there are many chief executives who are on two to three million. Uh, there are. I'll probably say the going rate's probably about one point five to one point eight. But it is a broad. Uh, it is a broad brush, and many many salaries are heavily incentivized. So I think we saw uh, Daniel Levy at Spurs getting six or seven million a few years ago with regards to the completion of the stadium. Um, Marina Gravaskaya picked up. Thirty million pounds for selling Chelsea um, as part of of her remuneration package, and I think Bruce uh, Bruce Buck uh, got several million as well as part of that deal. Although the money's still not been handed across to Ukraine, mm. uh, as we've discussed on more than one occasion. Uh, I think to answer one of your questions, Kieran Gianni Infantino certainly gives the impression of a man who loves himself that much. <laughs> to yes. use to use the old expression, if he was made of chocolate, he'd have licked himself to death long ago. Um, and he arranged to be elected as uh, head of FIFA this time around unopposed. So I don't think anyone would be surprised if he tries to hang on in there, Putin style, beyond 2029 mm. with the lifestyle and the money he's getting. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them by making a small monthly contribution, that would be very kind of you. And you could do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We will be back on Thursday as usual, but it won't be quite as usual pod as I'm off on a three-day holiday and Ali and indeed the Baroness have indicated that it's probably best if I don't take up two hours of that three-day holiday by recording a pod. So we're going to bring you another nostalgia episode and it's all about Trevor Francis and the £1 million transfer so it's going to be partly a tribute to Trevor Francis, but partly a look back at the finances of football in 1979. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you, everybody, for your support for the show and for those people on Patreon who, who are contributing. We are very, very grateful. Uh, remember, for, for £3 a month, you can listen to the show advert three or advert free even. That <laughs> um, there's, there's another way that you can support the show and that's to give us a review we, we don't quite understand how it works but it certainly helps us in terms of our position in the charts uh, it does get us noticed as uh, anybody who's bought this week's copy of the radio times will testify <laughs> um, and, we, and we, we, I've, I've read the whole article i can't, be, can't believe some of the people we're in with so uh-huh. I'm, I'm absolutely made up uh, with regards to that so thank you again for your support uh, it doesn't matter what you say so you could even say you would rather have the show presented by two of the people with the hardest stares in the world. And I'm talking, of course, about Paddington Bear and Jeff Stelling. I, I thought you were going to say the Baroness there, Kieran, because <laughs> certainly if there's a shortlist of three, 
I'll say this again. Jeff Stelling, I, I, I wouldn't get into a fight with Jeff Stelling around a pool table. I'm telling you. Don't turn your back on him. He's a tough man. I think Paddington would win, though. I love Paddington's hard stare. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Hard stare. I love Paddington, full stop. Uh, soppy old sod. Bye, everybody. Bye. The football. Bye, son, for the